Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Hi, everyone. This is David, your host of the Safety Doc Podcast. This is Podcast 21. And today we will be exploring Viktor Frankl's logotherapy. It's a lot different than what it sounds, logotherapy. Not legotherapy, but logotherapy. Has nothing to do with symbols, nothing, you know, when I first uh, saw the term logotherapy, I was thinking it has to do with, with maybe like branding. You know, McDonald's has the yellow M. Um, and, and just the, the different trademark designs, but it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with logos, the Greek term, which has, uh, w- w- which means meaning, logos, meaning. So it's all about meaning, meaning therapy. And I'm going to talk about that today and also talk about um, the, the Man's Search for Meaning, a book that uh, Dr. Frankel wrote in 1946, still very relevant today. Um, very intriguing. So um, it is a warm day here in Wisconsin. That's rare for the spring. It is it is something, um, you know, where we've had our share of snow and cold weather. But now that we have kind of crossed over into April, it seems the, the temperature has, has gone up. People are outside and, and boy, is it ever nice to to be out? I was out today with my youngest daughter for about 90 minutes. We took a walk, saw a number of people um, out, people on the athletic fields, and and just all of that pent up uh, energy of of people finally wanting some warm weather and wanting all the snow to be gone and, and the rain to stop. And and boy, today was the day. So and and hopefully more will be on beyond the way. Um, when we return from. Uh, Disney Orlando last week, uh, we pulled in the driveway and it was 41 degrees and, and raining. And when, when we had left, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was in the eighties, of course, and sunny. So we more than, you know, went down by half, not including, you know, just all of, all of the rain and, and kind of the overcast and gray skies versus the, the blue skies, um, you know, down in Orlando. But, uh, but today was, was a wonderful Wisconsin day. Um, I want to, to give a thank you to the followers of the show, the Twitter account, at uh, safety PhD, where you can follow me primarily. I, I focus on the show for the month of March. We had 45,000, uh, tweet impressions. That's a record. We also had 234 new followers, also a record. So thank you very much for that. A big thank you to John Grant and the 405 Media. The 405media.com, this is uh, the, the home for the show, where the show airs, where the, where the show is broadcast from. And if you go to the 405media.com, you'll also be able to find blog posts that I make that go along with the show and much more detailed than what you'll find uh, versus the descriptions which are provided through YouTube or iTunes or SoundCloud, also venues for the, the show where you can subscribe. Uh, but you're limited to about 4,000 characters. So when I get in and am able to do a blog post on the 405media.com, I can really expand the discussion about a show and also provide additional links to some of the resources um, that I've talked about in the show. So the 405media.com. Also, I uh, want to thank Sprigio, S-P-R-I-G-E-O, the nation's leader in online bullying and threat reporting software uh, based out of Santa Barbara, California. Uh, Sprigio has been a wonderful uh, supporter of the Safety Doc Show. Also, ISS 24-7 um, out of Florida. So uh, I, while I was in Orlando, I th- they are they're further down toward, toward Miami. Um, but I did drive by right past um, Nissan Stadium on my way down and back, which is the home of the Tennessee Titans football team uh, in the NFL. And uh, ISS 24-7 provides instant management for uh, many NFL stadiums, uh, NCAA arenas, shopping malls, other large venues. Uh, they do an extraordinary job with an app-based system using the latest technology. 
Um, I, so very, very, um, always impressed at what ISS 24-7 does. And, and if you go to, you know, games, you don't realize all of the things in, in, in the back, in the background that, that happen, um, through efficient systems such as provided by ISS 24-7 to keep you safe in those venues. So a big thank you to ISS 24-7. So let's talk about, um, Victor Frankel and logo therapy. So I do have a number of, of notes I put together for uh, today's show, and I'm going to to you know kind of reference these notes because I, I want to make sure I'm very true to the interpretation that Dr. Frankel had of of logo therapy, which he he originated that term logo therapy. So first of all, um, let me tell you about Dr. Frankel. Um, so Dr. Frankel, he was in his 30s while he, uh, he was imprisoned um, in Auschwitz and other um, Nazi camps. And um, he was, a, at that time, already had become a doctor of psychiatry and neurology. So, you know, he, he wrote this book, Man's Search for Meaning, and, and wrote other books. And, and I'll, I'll talk about some of the, of the academic things that he did uh, post, um, post Holocaust, but, um, but he took his experiences while being an inmate and then incorporated those into what we'll talk about today, which is logotherapy. So this, so, um, so, you know, again, logotherapy, again, this is, is a confusing term. And I almost wish that Dr. Frankel would have come up with a different term. Now, again, I know logo, um, ties in with logos or meaning the, the Greek, um, term in that term. Um, but I, but I think what happens is, you know, today in society, when we think logo, it, it, we, we think of commercialized, you know, logo. So, um, I'm going to talk about why it's important to understand logo therapy for all of us. Anyone listening, this is relevant to everybody. It's relevant to me, relevant to you. Um, I read this, I read the 19, the, the book he wrote in 1946, and it, and it does not have any feeling at all of being dated material. It's, it was captivating. I think the fact that he wrote that, uh, basically immediately after being, um, uh, being freed from, from, um, the in, encampment, um, that the content it still reflects uh, his his feelings. You know, they're they're very rich. There wasn't that time lapse. You know, we we talked about this in a previous podcast of of the more time passes, the harder it is to recall something, um, and that's just a fact. And I think because he wrote this in '46, and then he developed out his his theory of logotherapy, um, it, it it just is very very tightly knit, very crisp, very clean. So, um, and I think logotherapy is something we could and we should be talking about in schools, middle school kids, high school kids, um, even in college. Uh, but we, we don't, uh, we don't really talk about logotherapy. And if we do, it is, it's not as an overt discussion. And I'll, I'll talk about that more in our, in our show today. So, um, I believe logotherapy. So logotherapy uh, very basically means that you control your attitude. No matter what happens, um, you can still have control over your attitude or your response to something. And that actually it, uh, couples well with last week's uh, podcast where I talked about the butterfly effect. And I think what's happening right now, so the butterfly effect is built into this um, rhetoric of determinism. So basically saying everything, every, everything is determined. We could pinpoint back to the, the one variable which caused, you know, this, this tornado in Kansas and it, you know, a butterfly flapping its wings 500 miles away three days ago or something like that. But determinism is, is practical. Of course, when you have very known variables, you know, um, gravity, <laughs> you know, determinism is, is very present. If you, if you're saying, you know, it takes, um, you know, how many days for a planet to, to orbit, you know, the sun or something like that. Well, well, you have, you have mathematical, you know, um, known entities there, such as, you know, such as gravity, such as velocity and, and things like that, where you can 
plug-in formula, but you do not have the ability with determinism once you get into the social sciences, and, and I'm seeing it pushed more and more into the social sciences, and even when we talk about weather, the effects on weather and things like that. But um, let's, for example, you know, just back up a little bit on the butterfly effect, saying, you know, butterfly flapping its wings, um, you know, can cause a tornado three days later in 500 miles away or something like that because it would have altered the the airflow pattern and might have warmed a, a couple molecules which would have then created some um you know condensation in a in a cloud and, and that cloud would have grown and, and whatever but okay but we all know there's so many more variables okay um heat radiating off of a tarmac if a plane flies through the sky the reflection off uh, an aluminum wrapper from a piece of gum um, there are just way, way, way too many things, um, too many variables out there, literally millions, and, and then how all those variables uh, interact together. To try to um, talk about an open system and the butterfly effect and all of these, these things of determinism, I think really gets to be defeatist. And that's where I wanted to talk about logotherapy today, because it, it, if we are taught, if we're told that everything pretty much has already been decided for us in society, and I think this message is coming out, and I think it's working its way through the social sciences too. Um, but if we are into, if we're into subscribing to that um, philosophy, it's very disempowering. I, I think it destroys agency. It destroys purpose. Uh, it, it creates anxieties. It creates depression. I mean, wh why should I get up in the morning if everything has been determined already for me? Um, and that you're not setting goals then in, in life, and you're living a very centric life about yourself and not about others. Um, but I believe with the explosion of social media, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, and, and, and just on and on, we are seeing um, a societal movement toward kind of determinism. And I'm very concerned about that. I'm very, very concerned, especially with youth. A number of people, um, coworkers, other, other people will talk to me and, and, and about their, their children, even, even their own personal stories of, of addictions to social media and, and just how their whole day might be determined whether they had a certain number of likes on a, on a response or if they saw someone else posted a picture, um, you know, of a vacation or something like that. And then internally, you know, it, it kind of creates this, this feeling of either inferiority or, um, you know, whatever it might be. But there, there are numerous, numerous studies to this. So I'm not going to, to get much deeper into that, but, um, but, I don't think anyone would argue that we have a problem with uh, social media addiction in the world, and especially with youth um, who do not know how to um, do not have the the frontal lobe you know processing to really understand the, the the depth of how they're being you know manipulated and controlled by social media by ads, um, just the addiction to social media, and then of course. Um, that need to be a, a part of a, a group, and whether you're included in social media groups, whether you're exiled from groups and things like that, of, of the the impact that can have on the psyche, on the, the mind of, of, a, of a child. But again, this isn't just children. This is, this is everybody, you know, being, being so connected in, into that. So um, logotherapy. Dr. Frankel talks about logotherapy. You know, I don't think it's a therapy. I think it's a framework. If it was a therapy you would have a process of finding a baseline and then actually an actual therapeutic program to work from that. Now, you can argue to some extent that might exist. I, I've, I've done quite a bit of research into logotherapy, but I think it's more of a framework. It's a perspective. It's, it's something that you wouldn't enroll in a logotherapy, um, I'm just going to change the setting here, a logotherapy, um, group of, of sessions through a, a counselor. I think logotherapy is something, you know, you sit down and, and you become aware of and you understand maybe through reading you know, and having a discussion of man's search for meaning or, or something like that. Um, I, there aren't, you know, definite steps that you kind of progress through. I, at least I haven't seen that. So, um, but again, I'm coming at this 
from a little bit of an angle of saying, I believe that, that social media has contributed to a society which right now is very much subscribed to determinism, which is disempowering and basically saying, again, uh, we're not as empowered as, as we think we are over ourselves or our environment. But logotherapy and Viktor Frankl will say, well, that's, that's not accurate at all. And I'm going to talk about my time in, as being a prisoner in Nazi camps and how I was able to maintain control um, over um, my, you know, what will be called um, spirit as we, as we move into this. So let's talk. Who is, who is uh, Viktor Frankl? So again, he was an inmate at Auschwitz and also other Nazi prisons. Uh, and he would volunteer to go to other prisons to um, help out as a, in the role of a doctor. It, there would be different various outbreaks. One was a typhus outbreak. He, he wrote about that where he volunteered to go to another camp. Um, and he did that. It gave him, it, it, again, it gave him purpose. It gave him, him meaning to do this, even though he could, you know, become terminally ill and, and pass away. Um, he, the provisions were, were maybe like six aspirin for 40 inmates. You know, you'd have to decide how he would allocate that. And, and, you know, basically it was more or less, you know, doing, um, you know, being, being present and, and, and trying to, to provide encouragement to, to people. Um, the resources were extremely limited, but so doctor of psychiatry and doctor of neurology, founder of logotherapy, which we're talking about. And later on, a professor at the University of Vienna Medical School and also a clinical professor of psychiatry at Stanford University. Uh, he passed away in 1997 at the age of 92. You can go online and, and find the Viktor Frankl Institute. There's quite a bit written about Viktor Frankl. I believe there's a movie that's coming out um, in the next year or two about his life. And then there, uh, there's the um, Logotherapy Institute. So, um, he's, he's very well known for his 1946 book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Meaning. It's not a very, very thick book. I mean, you, you could read it in an evening. Um, it, it's a, it's a paperback. And a, a few things from the book that, that, you know, stuck with me when I went through it. So, he spoke of when he he's on he's in the prison car and, and being taken to Auschwitz. He didn't know it at the at the moment, um, but he you know they're going through and there's 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 little slits and and so the the rail car you can look out and you know there'd be a combination of inmates. I mean everybody's just packed in um, prisoners at that time I guess who would be on the floor, some who would be standing, and you know they went and, and they saw the sign you know. Th through the slip that said Auschwitz and, and immediately realized, oh my goodness, this is where we're, we're heading. Um, but then, you know, so they get to Auschwitz and, and the doors open and they are greeted by um, healthy, happy inmates up, upon their debarking uh, from the strain car. They, they get off this car and there's inmates, but, you know, they look, you know, um, fairly healthy, the inmates present, you know, in an upbeat manner, very comforting. And, and really what that was, of course, um, that was done as a way to, um, make, try, try to convince people immediately that, you know, this situation wasn't nearly as bad as, as, as what they had, had been told, you know, through the rumors and, you know, it, it's okay. And, and, and to, to, you know, decrease the anxiety, those, those, um, prisoners that were involved in in kind of easing the other prisoners into the camp probably would have been capos c-a-p-o-s and capos were prisoners who acted like trustees they were appointed or, or i guess you could say promoted by the ss as trustees um, so they would be let's say that you know there were there were you know 20 jewish prisoners for example one of them might be picked and say okay you're going to now be in charge of making sure that the, these remaining 19 you know prisoners do what they need to do as far as like getting up you know on on time and and getting out to you know their their work sites and and whatever if you are identified as as capos it gave you uh, power 
over others. And then you were treated a little bit better, got a little more food when they went down with the ladle. Um, and this is something Victor would, would talk about, you know, the, the soup was, was, you know, it was contracted out the meals. So the soup was largely very watery, but, um, you know, if you were someone that they, they liked, or if you were a capos, you know, the, they would dip the ladle to the bottom where the few, you know, beans or potatoes, you know, might be and, and bring those up for you. So it, it was definitely a privilege, privilege. The other part with capos is it was, um, you know, it would change your personality. Um, if you, so if you got promoted to Capos and, you know, you were showing, um, kindness toward your fellow prisoners, then you would be put back into that group. You would lose your, your rank as Capos and Capos greatly increased your likelihood of surviving. So, you know, the, if you would get promoted to Capos, um, it wouldn't be uncommon for Capos to exhibit cruelty that would be beyond even what the SS, you know, might do. So it, it, it's this real ethical um, dilemma where in order to preserve yourself as a Capos, um, you know, you might have to exhi exhibit cruelty, flat out cruelty, uh, um, you know, against people who a few days ago, you know, were, um, you know, your, your friends or had been, you know, your neighbors or, or whatever, um, or, or just people you had met. Um, and there was, there was no other reason to exhibit, you know, this type of cruelty, uh, against them other than to preserve your position as capos and increase your likelihood of surviving this ordeal. So I, this, this was fascinating to me. Uh, Victor Frankel said, so they would have the bunks and people would sleep sideways. And, and anyway, you're very thin, you're getting very little food, but it might be five, six men. You'd have to sleep sideways. You'd have one, one blanket. And um, he, he talked about how at night, you know, people, prisoners would have nightmares. And one of the things that, that he learned was you didn't wake somebody from a nightmare because the reality was worse than the nightmare. Wow. Wow. So somebody could be screaming in a nightmare as if they were being tortured. Um, but yet it was better to let them experience that than to wake them and have them orient to the reality um, around them. So uh, Dr. Frankel was separated from his wife. He, he was angry, um, but he was he was powerless to to do anything other than to manage his his thoughts. And that's where logotherapy uh, comes out of and he volunteered to to care for um sick prisoners he w would talk about being given a small piece of bread and he would talk about how as a ration some of the prisoners would eat it up right away and then you know they they would be be hungry of course um shortly after but might be might be you know gratified for for a little bit he would take his his bread he'd eat a little bit but he would save save the rest of it and then he would use that as a reward to ease a painful experience. If it had been a really rough day out um, at the work site or whatever, he might then use that little piece of bread kind of as a reward. So the delayed gratification, um, you know, he, he also talked about um, how if a, a piece of straw, so there might, there was some straw that, that were, it was put on the bunks, a piece of straw would get on the, the dirt floor of the hut and you know that would result in you know beatings from the guards so you'd have to make sure that none of the straw was down on this on, on the dirt floor and uh he also talked about the process of when people would would give up you would see the the body you know pretty rapidly um change you know where he said people of course they wouldn't be getting the calories so you know they would become thin and, and eventually you know your muscles you know would would go your body would would be consuming what it needed to consume for calories um but he also then talked about psychologically when people just um refuse to get out of their bunk and go out in the morning and um and then be transported to the the work sites and of course you know once you had made that decision, then, you know, your life was, was over. It would be, you know, a day or two. And if that didn't change, then your life would be, uh, terminated. So, um, 
Victor attempted to make others think of the future, and he shared a story about how, um, you know, if the if the prison guards and the capitals weren't nearby and the prisoners were on a work site, they one of the things they would talk about would be like a meal, like what would be just a wonderful meal to make, and and they would talk about you know the ingredients and the aromas and how long to cook things and how they would would set the table and and just how these things would taste and and this just this distraction but he would also bring people into discussions of um well just think you know like two years from now when you're when you, you know you're out of here and, and you're back you know doing whatever and and you know you're you're cleaning your floor you know you're going to be looking for that little piece of straw and, and something like that or it was you know he tried to help people see beyond um, the current circumstance and that everything that they were going through now was going to be something that they would use later um, in in their their life that this was a building this was a learning experience somehow while it wasn't clear what the purpose and, and the cruelty and, and, and all of the lack of humanity this was somehow contributing to what people would call upon later in in life um so and and he would you know use use humor you know whenever whenever he could um but again in a very dire dire situation so um logotherapy so victor frankel uh, came up with with the term logotherapy so loosely interpreted it is um, therapy through finding meaning so logos translates to meaning in Greek. And again, I, I said, you know, logo therapy, I think it's less of a therapy. I'd rather have it called logo framework, but um, logo therapy or finding, um, finding meaning, finding meaning. So there's three basic assumptions here. One is that life has meaning under all circumstances. Under all circumstances, life has meaning under all circumstances. And I want to, you know, I talk about this from his 1946 work, but let's also think about this as how it relates today. So life has meaning under all circumstances. Um, two, people have a will to meaning. Three, people have freedom under all circumstances to activate the will to meaning and to find meaning. So logotherapy has three basic basic assumptions, and, and let's go through those again. One is life has meaning under all circumstances. So, you know, his circumstance was he was an inmate in a, non, a Nazi concentration camp, and, you know, where his ability to control um, his, his, his body, his schedule, his routine, that was you know, that was all externally controlled. Um, what he did, you know, is he was able to maintain the ability to find meaning because his the meaning that he found was in helping others, for, for example, and then also that he was um, going to use this experience, the rawness, the harshness of, of this experience, and repackage that into... Um, an educational format that then he would use when he later would go out and become a, a professor you know so this was this was all of um, you know he was he was thinking about these things um, people have a will to meaning meaning that people want to find meaning and the third part people have freedom under all circumstances to activate the will to meaning and to find meaning so even though you are in that prison camp you still have the freedom to choose to find meaning, to choose to find meaning. So Dr. Frankel believes the dimensional ontology image of a human being also is the composite of a triad of characteristics. Sounds really wordy, like a whole lot of stuff. Let's, let's just break that down. Basically saying, hey, here everybody is made of three components, okay? <laughs> Dr. Frankel says, everybody's made of three components. One, you have your body, or soma. Okay, body or soma, same. Soma is the Greek version. Um, mind or psyche. And spirit or the noetic core. And that noetic core was immune from the sickness of the flesh, you know, such as typhus, 
um, any type of disease you could get, any type of beating. Um, couldn't, the spirit was, was immune from that. It could not be accessed. Um, so the harm could not be inflicted upon that, that spirit, that noetic core. So the body definitely and the mind could experience and did experience the pain, the spirit or the noetic core. And how I think of the noetic core, so I've kind of mulled this over, but I think of it as kind of like the cloud right now. We have computing. We have the cloud. We can upload things to the cloud. Okay, this is your cloud computing. So you, what the noetic core, imagine that's that's uploaded to the cloud. So your house gets destroyed in a fire, computer's gone, all of the discs are melted, they look like taco shells, um, everything's gone. But you know what? That noetic core, what is in that cloud, that's untouched, that's untouchable. Um, and so that spirit, now, it's challenging to talk about this because you, you, you have that fine line of parochial discussion versus public discussion. And if we get into spirit, are we starting to talk about religion? And I think noetic core, and we talk about spirit, we're talking, if you choose to, to think of that as a religious aspect, that's fine. But also, you can consider it to be um, a... a non-religion um, affiliated component of, of life. You know, that there is, there is some synergetic, some, you know, something that is created um, out there through our, you know, it's all of our interactions of, of, of what makes us a person um, that, that creates the, this, this, the spirit, this third entity. So we have body and mind, which people, of course, objectively would think about. Um, and if you're, if you're into determinism, um, body and mind, you know, are, are very much what everything is all about. And then this noetic core would not have as much value or, or much recognition. Um, so Dr. Frankel, you know, believes the human consists of the body, of the mind, but then also the spirit, this noetic core. And the key was to maintain a connection to that noetic core that you could still access and still realize and believe that that spirit existed. So your psyche, um, no matter how much stress the psyche had gone through, you'd still be able to access and believe in this in this noetic core that, of this greater greater meaning that you you have. So Dr. Frankel's meaning triangle for his meaning of life also had three components. The first would be creativity. Creativity, as in giving something in the world through self-expression, using your talents in various ways. Creativity for Dr. Frankel could be described as when he volunteered to go to the other prison camps to serve um, patients with, or prisoners who were patients with typhus and, and other conditions. Um, so he was giving of him himself and then would also do a lot of, um, you know, trying to coach people into to looking forward to some kind of goal that would be post their imprisonment. Um, the second, so creativity is giving what your gift is to the world, what your self-expression is. Um, the, the second is experiencing. Receiving the world through nature, culture, relationships, and interactions with others. He did that, his interactions with others, but he also would talk about looking at the sunset at night. He talked about a tree that was outside one of the barracks and, and watching, you know, the, the leaves come onto this tree and, and kind of wondering how, how this tree ended up to be so unlucky to be in this prison camp. Yet for him, you know, he was able to, to see the see nature and and see the growth of, of that tree and, and the comfort from just experiencing that. Um, so, and there, there were very, there were several moments, you know, when he talked about the, the kindness by capos or the kindness by guards and, you know, who might, you know, whisper, you know, to him, you know, we've been, we've been told to take care of you because he was a doctor. Um, and, you know, there were other, uh, you know, other times uh, just by watching, you know, the 
the ladle go to the bottom of the you know the the large soup uh, container, um, the, the you know the the large metal metal bowl and and that he would then have the benefit of having a few beans or or a few pieces of potato in his bowl, um, but receiving the world because in that you know that looking out for him in that kindness and and um, the third is changes of attitude. So again, Frankel's meaning triangle for life. We talked about creativity, giving something, experiencing, receiving something, then change of attitude. Even if you can't change a situation or circumstance, you can still choose your attitude toward the condition. And he did that um, remarkably well of choosing that um, he was not going to be, be uh, defeated by the, by the experience of being a prisoner. He was going to learn from it. And he actually had tiny pieces of paper he would take notes on. Um, and I'm not sure later if he was able to access these notes, but little, little things he wanted to reference, you know, later, um, post the imprisonment as he then started to develop his logotherapy and, and started to, um, help educate others about the experience of being a prisoner and the experience of maintaining a connection uh, from the psyche to the noetic core or to the spirit. So one time he lost his papers, he had to go through um, like a de-lousing or something and, and, and they were they were taken, I think, I don't know if he had them hidden in his shoes or wherever, and then um, he did recreate them. So you can just imagine these little scraps of paper that's just a few maybe words or, or abbreviations or, or whatever, but, um, so um, there, there's something that is called existential vacuum. It's a term that Dr. Frankel uh, came up with, existential vacuum. Basically meaning when you no longer can access the noetic core, when you no longer can access the spirit, um, then you have, you have this, this vacuum. So then you're living off of body, um, soma, and mind psyche. So imagine it's a car and it's, you, you don't have a gas tank. All you have is the, the fuel line, um, that goes to the engine and, and, and there isn't, there isn't a, you know, the, the gas tank to have, you know, that you build up your reserves and, and you have your fuel. You have to constantly be, be putting something into the fuel line, constantly have to putting something to keep this car running. Um, so, he, you know, he talked about his way to describe life that had no meaning and that perpetual condition would create a, a void, so an existential vacuum. And think about how we, we see that in, in kids where that, that vacuum, you don't see meaning, you're unable to set goals. I'm going to interview, um, someone who recently completed research with high school students and talked about goals and goal setting with them. And none of the students, one, said that they had been taught how to set goals and post-secondary goals. And two, um, they, they, they had no, they couldn't identify any goals. Um, so they are very much, they very much were living, um, you know, in, in the moment and, and just were not looking, uh, over the horizon. So, but we talk about this existential vacuum, which becomes very dark. And in, in the cases that, you know, the researcher I'm going to interview, those weren't dark situations. It was just a, a questioning students of, of how do you plan for post-secondary and how do you, you know, see yourself two years, five years, seven years out and how, of what you're doing now, how is that going to relate? And again, that people weren't making that connection. Um, but this existential vacuum is very scary. So we, we see kids, I, I saw a documentary. It was a mother of a, um, of a teenage girl in Australia. Uh, this teenage girl had uh, completed suicide by standing in front of a train and had, um, be, had, had become so addicted to social media, um, was, was looking in you know, people can argue that social media is nothing more than, than a, a tool. Um, that it's a means and it's how people interact that that is the real issue, you know, which is true. But, um, but again, I, I think social, social media also has very active design and programming to it, um, to make you very externally motivated and to, um, 
make it kids already we don't teach kids about you know the the psyche to the noetic core connection so when you do have the social media the social media to, you know totally consumes that psyche of of you're validated you know through your likes on facebook and and through um, others responses and what you see and and you know it's it, we see this in adults too and there are numerous studies and and the number of hours uh, people spend on pinterest for example in in a week um I, I i was watching an episode of um diary of a wimpy kid and it was um the the boy featured in there in summer vacation and he couldn't wait because he was going to play video games like eight hours a day and of course that's that's a comedy but there's a reality in that too of of you know that that disconnect from from nature and that disconnect from others which you know we had just talked about here with with dr frankel as he talked about the um the meaning triangle of creativity giving something in the world experiencing and then change of attitude so i mean if you're sitting playing video games all day um you're not really um completing the creativity part of that you're not experiencing you know much and i'm not sure how change of attitude would fit into that but so you have this existential vacuum so you're trying to find what your meaning is in life and it then you have this this void that is satiated by drugs by violence by food uh, we, we see these tv shows now you know my 600 pound life um, but then not only drugs violence food but also social media people who are addicted to social media kids who are addicted to social media so that void no matter what you put in that void remember this is the car without a gas tank so you have to continually be pushing something into that gas that gas line um, that to, to keep that motor going um, so it's a black hole and eventually you're going to run in, into a point where it's, it's just going to burn you out you're not going to be able to keep it up and you'll see that pattern with with people in drug addictions um, and it, it's a point then where you have to face either you are going to um, you're going to succumb to that, and some people, you know, opt for for suicide, or you're going to um, be forced with with having to overcome, you know, that that addiction, and then work your way into finding meaning, or finding your noetic core, and then removing yourself from the existential vacuum. That can be done with the help of of therapists, you know certainly um, and dr. Frankel said one has symptoms but one is not a victim of the circumstances one is not the symptoms so just to put that out there to chew on a little bit there's there's something called the purpose in life test I have a copy of it right here it's by Crumbaugh and Mahalik 1964 and I'm, I'm just gonna uh, talk about some parts of it it, it's a short it's a they call it a test I don't know I call it a screener but we struggle right now with trying to figure out especially with youth um, if they're if they're struggling with identifying a purpose in life meaning agency purpose meaning agency and, and um, how do you do that how, how do you find out if, if kids are, are struggling with this so schools sometimes will say you know it just appears this way to us and they don't really have a screener or a tool to to have this um, to, to kind of get this ball rolling I, I've talked previously about the community health needs assessment the China CHA CHNA community health needs assessment done by your local hospital connect up with your local hospital you can help them help um, coordinate with them on how to serve the mental health needs of your students identify the needs how to meet those needs but let's get back to this purpose in life test um, the way this would work again it had 20 questions and you would write a, a one to five next to statement that was most true for you right now so I'm, I'm going to just read a few of these the first question is I am usually and number one would be bored number five would be enthusiastic so you have that Likert scale so if you're like I'm usually I'm usually bored so I'd circle one um, life to me means one completely routine five always exciting you know so however someone would answer that and in life I have 
one, no goals or aims, five, clear goals and aims. So it, it goes on. If you score, if you add everything up, so you have 20 questions, so you can score possible 100, the lowest you could score is 20 because you'd be scoring a one, there's not a zero. If you have a score of 50 or less, that might mean that you're experiencing an existential void. This is actually a really good tool. I'm gonna to link out to it as a way to um, get some objective data on how a student is feeling, a youth is, is feeling, presenting. Now there's some questions in here which I'm, I'm not sure are appropriate for youth. Um, I, I go back and forth with that a little bit. I'm gonna read two of the questions. One is, with regard to death, I am one, unprepared and frightened, five, prepared and unafraid. So it's like, whoa, would you really ask that to like a 14 year old? Um, but also, you know, we ask questions like, you know, do you have, if someone is saying, you know, I'm, I, don't want to live anymore. Well, do you have a plan and things like that? And so I, I, this would need to be something that would be talked about, you know, locally or what other tools, um, you know, this, this is very direct, but at the same time, I, when you get into topics of an existential vacuum and where it, it can be a short trip to, um, feeling that you have no, access to that noetic core know that life is determined no matter what you do things aren't going to change and and why continue in life i mean then we're talking about harm to self and possibly then harm to others if that's where um you know you you feel um you know that that you're in your situation because you've been wronged by others um but so another statement regarding suicide i have one thought of of it seriously as a way out five never given it a second thought um, so and I want to talk about one there's one more question on here of I regard my ability to find a purpose or mission in life one practically none five very great that's that's the person I'm going to be interviewing who talked about researching uh, talking interviewing high school students about their ability to to identify goals or their mission in life and the fact that they couldn't. It wasn't a negative necessarily, like they weren't, they weren't up at night, you know, like I should know this, I don't know this. And, but it was something, it was a complete uh, awareness moment of saying, oh my goodness, like we, we, we have kids just that are not um, seeing into the, the future, you know, that they are not realizing what they're learning now, how that will apply to the future, or again, like Viktor Frankl and circumstances, you know, how even even the, the tough times you go through right now, um, how that's going to help you cope in, in the future with different things and the ability to set goals um, and not feel that, um, you know, life is, is very deterministic, you know, that you have a sense of control over yourself and your environment. So very interesting. Again, this is called the Purpose in Life Test. It's by Krumbaugh and Mahalik. It's from 1964. 20 questions. You could go through this. This was somebody in, you know, probably 15 minutes. And the thing with, with something like this is once you would start changing the wording on this, then, you know, the, the question of, of how valid this becomes as something as a tool, um, you know, is, is called in, into play. Um, yet it is, it is nothing more than a screener. Now schools will say, well, we already have screeners. We use the youth mental health risk assessment. Well, first, that's not a screener. And I've talked about that before that talks and talks, that's a, like looking at a whole group, um, of, of students. And plus there's a delay in the time from when that's administered to when that's scored. And there are not questions in there, which are as direct as this purpose in life test. Um, so it's a screener. We need to be teaching kids about logotherapy and goal setting, okay? So what Viktor Frankl talked about, we have, a, we have a lot of youth. We have a lot of people, people in society, people in society who are struggling, who um, aren't having necessarily innate needs met or having, you know, struggling with, uh, with jobs, with family, um, with addictions, and that, disconnect from noetic core or even realizing that that noetic core is out there um, its body and its its psyche you know for so many people it's body and its psyche and it's not that that sense of noetic core or that sense of there's something unique to all of us which is exists up in the cloud 
and that can't be touched no matter what happens to us. Um, and we, you know, we can we can stay connected to that, and we can use our current experiences. And no matter how hard the challenges are, um, look at the challenges as again, you're not being a victim, but you're being provided an opportunity to use what you're going through to then help others, and then um, also to help yourself realize your your goals in life. Um, and it, it, it might sound overstepping to say something like that. I'm, I'm seeing that from the perspective of Viktor Frankl's work. You know, he, he's saying that as someone, you know, who was a prisoner and who easily, in a Nazi camp and easily could have been pointed to the left line, which was, um, you know, that, that your, your life would be terminated from, from the right line. And he talked about that numerous times. So there were those points in, you know, that, that just randomly could have affected, you know, where his, his life went, but he still would have had his connection to his noetic core, um, up until the point of, you know, when he, when he died. So, um, that, that sense of noetic core. Do we talk about this to kids though? We don't, I mean, it's, it's abstract. We don't talk about this even with adults, but what you go through, it really changes things. I mean, imagine that if, you know, thinking back to, Externally, as we look at this, thinking back to Viktor Frankl, who then becomes um, a professor um, and, and develops logotherapy and helps millions of people. Um, and had he not gone through the experience of the prison camp and per, his perspective of that, of I am going to use this experience then to educate others and to develop you know, logotherapy um, once, I'm, once I'm out of here. I'm going to, so I need to be attentive. I need to soak this in. And this, even though this is going to damage my, my body, my soma, it's going to, you know, um, you know, severely, um, take strikes at my psyche, you know, at, at, at my, at my mind. Um, you know, I'm going to be fatigued and, and I'm going to be questioning. I'm going to be angry. But if I can keep this connection to this noetic core or the spirit, I'll be able to go up to the cloud when I'm out of this situation. And I'll be able to download that back from the cloud and, and then use that as I benefit and offer and give meaning by helping um, and giving to others and just the attention to to nature and the sunsets and you know that you make that choice over your reaction to things. Um, yeah, so it's but again, you know, I think boy. We have we have Facebook and and how Facebook tailors its ads and, and the likes and everything and and the addiction. I, I knew somebody, a professional, a professional, who had to leave her job and go into counseling because she was um, involved in what she described as the Facebook fallacy. So I knew this person, um, and and just said I I am I, every time my phone buzzes or beeps and I check so many times and I see other people's pictures and I feel you know like I'm, I'm in a competition with that and, and it was just crazy, it was just crazy and this was a person who was highly educated, um, who you know was um, you know was very intellectual, was very outgoing, and and just had become. Um, so addicted and then this existential vacuum happens because what the noetic core is severed. You're not connecting to this noetic core. It's not like I'm using this Facebook experience or whatever, or Facebook as a tool to communicate with others. No, it became this kind of artificial and intelligence type, type entity. I know that's a, that's a dangerous way to describe it, but, um, and this person in, in this addiction, this existential void then of needing more and more and more to the point where you just couldn't get, you couldn't get more. And, and it, it brought down your entire identity existed in your Facebook profile and the number of likes that you had. Someone that you wouldn't think this would happen to. And imagine kids that we don't overtly talk about this. We don't include this in counseling curriculums. Um, yeah, we talk about what it is to be a good social digital citizen, I guess, but really getting deep into these types of things or, you know, ch children that go through, uh, poverty, generational poverty experiences, other experiences, you know, frequent moving and having this discussion and, and say, you know, um, 
there, there are three parts of view. There's body, mind, and in and, and spirit. This noetic core, and access the noetic core. And here's you know here's how to do it. Again, we we get into that that meaning accessing that noetic core through creativity, giving through experiencing, receiving the world. How many kids don't connect with nature? Hey, I've talked about that. Just a walk in nature, just connecting kids with with nature, with relationships. Um, you know, with 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 friendship, school connectedness activities, and then telling kids you 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 have control over your you know your attitude you choose your response think um and, and pause and, and choose your your response you know there were so many times on the way down to florida on i4 which was under construction the garmin would beep and it would say there is uh i don't know there's there's uh, traffic um you know on on 30 minutes ahead on your route or whatever it would say. And it would come up and then, you know, it'd be like, there's going to be a 16 minute delay. Well, it is what it is, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. So you can either be, be growly about it and, and, you know, uh, but it, it is what it was. And, and to just say, well, you know, um, it's a, it's a 15 minute delay, but in that circumstance, it's 15 minutes delay. It's 80 degrees outside. I can roll the windows down there's sun coming in and wow, um, it, and look at it that way or else, you know, not look at it that way. Look at it being like, it's, it's going to be a rush when we get there and we have to get to where we have to eat. Well, you know, um, so, uh, logotherapy is intrinsic. It's intrinsic. It, it, it's introspective. I've, I've talked about sense making a lot. I, I do a lot with sense making where you're trying to sharpen your identification of changes in the environment. And, and that's, really extrinsic awareness. So logotherapy, very intrinsic, very introspective. Okay, introspective, very intrinsic, very introspective, which is something, again, we don't teach kids. We don't teach kids. Now, we can say, yes, we have feeling, uh, you know, talk about feelings, talk about coping and things like that, but really to get into understanding introspection and intrinsic and identifying body, mind, psyche okay soma psyche noetic core those three things soma psyche noetic core and think of that for yourself okay think of that for yourself um it is even even you know determinism when i have my book coming out um lessons of lower manhattan talking about the boat rescue on 9 11 um you know you can look at that saying that was chaos and also there was determinism. People didn't have control over their attitude and whatever. It was complete control over attitude. It was helping others. It was using the principles of, of Viktor Frankl in creativity in the boat rescue of people using their, their, their boats, um, their, their, their creativity of, of their generosity and helping others, um, experiencing, you know, showing the kindness toward others around them. You know, the, the Wall Street bankers who are lifting, uh, a lady who was blind also lifting her, her guide dog onto a boat. And that change of attitude, the attitude of I have to do something and I'm going to do something to help out others. I'm going to make a difference in this circumstance. Um, but that intrinsic, again, part of logo therapy, working with kids, working with adults, working with friends. And as you feel down, Look at those three components. You have body, self, and that noetic core. And looking at, are you are you giving of yourself? One of the things that I started to do um, a few years ago was to work the church lunches. Um, and th there were two parts to that. One is I was giving of myself during, during that time. But the other part is I was receiving. I was receiving from the relationships of listening to the stories of other people and interacting with others. And... Um, it was something that was was very much a way for me to help find another path to my noetic core. So uh, just as a personal story. Um, I want to thank the 405 Media and John Grant for supporting the Safety Doc Show. Uh, I thank all of you, encourage you to subscribe to the show in its various formats. And wishing you a wonderful, wonderful day. Again, remember that you have body, soma, mind, psyche, and then spirit, noetic core. Always, always find that way to the noetic core, no matter what it takes. 
find that noetic core. You all have meaning. We all have meaning. Life's a wonderful thing. Thank you very much.